Hey folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Melson IV. On today's episode, we're talking with Farati Jackson, aka Brother Numsey. We're talking about their background in theater, music, and how the Brother Numsey account came about. Anyway, this episode was so engaging, I had to split it into two parts. So, here's part one. Enjoy. How's it looking out of Virginia, though? Worried about the storm. I guess, I guess we're supposed to be getting some rain, but nothing crazy. Uh, just been just been chilling. Yeah, it's like it's hurricane season, right? Yep. Hurricane Sally. Hurricane Sally. Yep, and I am by the coast, so that's why there's concern here. Understood totally. My folks actually are rooting Lynchburg, actually. Oh yeah, I'll learn. I'm I'm out by Virginia Beach, so. Yeah, the fun part. Yeah. Yeah, I think my cousin was out in, wait, what was the other part that was next to Virginia Beach? I forgot what it was. There's Norfolk, there's um, Chesapeake, there's um, Suffolk, there's Newport News. It started with an H. Hampton. Yeah, Hampton. Yeah. So what was it like growing up? Uh, let's see, I was, I was born in Kentucky. But we moved to Virginia back when I was real I was like three. Okay. So I don't I don't really remember Kentucky like that, even though I still go and visit Kentucky because I have family there. But growing up I don't remember Kentucky like that. But growing up in Richmond was cool because the neighborhood we moved into one, we were like one of two black families there at the time and two the neighborhood was developing. Hmm. Really? Yeah, no, it was three black families. We were one of three black families, and the neighborhood was actually developing. Like, when we first moved there, the neighborhood was literally nothing but forest. Really? Yep, it was all trees. And by the time we left Richmond at that time, like, they had expanded the neighborhood to, like, about, I want to say it was, like, five or six different subsections. Sounds pretty dope, actually, you know, because I don't like I have some I have some relatives down in Richmond, too, actually. So we probably were the fourth or fifth black family down there. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I haven't been down there in a minute, though, but whenever I had to head down south, there's always been the halfway point. So, you know, when I start seeing more Waffle House and shit like that. I was like, yep, down south somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you get away from all the Denny's and you start seeing Waffle Houses and Exactly. Fucking IHOP. IHOP. <laughs> Just hop your ass over to Waffle House so you can see somebody hopping somebody. Nothing like angry, dirty kitchens. It adds flavor. And the flies. Yes. There was a period in college where me and the homies were going. I was in Florida. I went to college down in Florida. We were always going to Waffle Houses after the clubs because, you know, those things are always open. And I had my little Waffle House period. And I think the last Waffle House I went to, which cracked me up, we were in Atlanta. And it was it was flawlessly clean. I guess it was a new Waffle House, but it was so freaking clean. We were like, the food ain't going to be good. It's so clean. That's how, you, that's how you know you set the standard of Waffle Houses to how dirty they are. True. So you went to school down in Florida, right? Where'd you go to in Florida? Florida A&M University. Oh, cool. Wait. I know the initials, but I never was clear to pronounce it, though. 
FAMU, uh, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. What did you go to school there for? I was a double major in theater and graphic design. Nice. All right, so yep. tell me more about the theater background. So basically when I went to school, I looked at all the things I was passionate about, and I was like, how can I combine those to be my major? Because I was big on music. I was big on computers. I was big on the arts. And at the time, I had loved I loved acting. So I looked at my majors and was like, I can combine all my interests if I go into you know, to theater and graphic design. Because my focus in theater was sound. So therefore, I had my music side and the art side. And then when I did graphic design, I handled the other half of my art side and computers. All right. That's pretty cool, actually, you know. So okay, that's, a nice, good, that's a nice combination of stuff. Because, all right, you know, there's, like, kitchen table funny. There's internet funny. But you're, like, fucking hilarious, though. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was this, you have this way with words and everything, you know? I mean, there was this one status you put up a while back. It was the one about Dan Ruin and everything. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I couldn't breathe, all right? That I, guy. I barely got to the bathroom. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, Dan, Dan Rue. So, I, the, the funny part is, I was I was a quiet kid. I'm the youngest of four brothers and an older sister. The old sister's the oldest. I was never really a talkative person. Like if you see any of my brothers, especially the one right above me, they're they're loud. They're loud. They're rambunctious. They're all about you know charming up the room and stuff like that. I was never good at that, and I eventually had a homeboy on Facebook. He passed, bless his soul, but he was like you know. You actually have a knack for humor. And I just finally embraced that. Like, that's been my way of actually communicating is literally using my humor. Same here. Using my wit and stuff like that. And if that's that's actually, it's, you know, people are writers. I don't like writing. I can actually write pretty well, too, apparently. Yes, your status messages. <laughs> that's, what I always, that's what they used to always tell me in school. Like, you're actually a good writer, but I just hated writing, like, the English classes where they made us write like 3.5 pair, uh, essays every day for practice. It was like, you're actually a good writer. It was like, so it's just learning to embrace my wit and my dry humor. Oh, yeah. What did uh, Robert, Robert Williams say something about, you know, comedian, most of the funny people are the ones that you're not looking at. They're the ones that be having the depression and stuff like that because it's their way of coping. It's their way of expression. I've never met a happy comedian. Seriously. <laughs> Alright, so music guy, what's what's usually on your playlist though? Oh gosh, my playlist is everything. There isn't really a, a music I don't listen to. I don't I don't go out and actively look for country music, but I you know, being from Kentucky, having family in Tennessee and all that stuff like that, in all the southern areas, country's not something I'm gonna like actively turn my nose at that either. There's some good country stuff. I listen to world music. I got a lot of stuff from Africa, from France, from Asia. Lots of hip hop, um, some pop. Big on jazz. Big on instrumentation. You play anything? 
I do. What do you I play? I play the drums, the saxophone, the viola, and then I can play the piano by ear. I have a guitar that I'm teaching myself how to play. Cool. Quarantine is – I'm supposed to be using my quarantine time to play guitar, but I haven't. Yeah. It's going to happen. <laughs> uh, I started playing drums in eighth grade at my aunt's church. There was no drummer there, so me and my homie, we basically was like, let's be the drummers. And I stuck through it. He didn't, he didn't keep up with it. He kept up with it for a little bit, but eventually I became the main drummer there for a good little bit. But the drum, the drum was not my initial instrument. It was an instrument I always loved. The sax was always my favorite, but my mother – she had four boys, and she put us all on stringed instruments. So my first instrument was, well, not counting the stuff my father had, because he had a lot of instruments laying around the house. But my first main instrument was actually viola. But my father used to play guitar and trumpet and stuff like that. So he he had some djembes around the house. Uh, we had some thumb pianos. We had a lot of instruments that he used to have laying around the house and I think that's part of the where my love and interest in music comes from and then all the jazz music he played he he was the original jazz head was there ever a random bass laying around the house if you're considering that my eldest brother played the bass then yes because he was the bass player the brother below him was cello and then the brother right above me was violin so like a string section pretty much I guess as a string instrument player, classical music is definitely a big thing. And it's even cooler to learn about how many actual, like, overwritten black people were involved in, you know, the original classical period. Very much so. Because of the times, they weren't allowed to get the fame and recognition. But now history is like, you know, this person is actually responsible for this, and this person is responsible for that. Like... What was it? The Three Musketeers? A lot of people didn't realize that The Three Musketeers was written by... That Alexandra dude is actually a black guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. You know, they try to hide that. It's like, it's one of those things, well, then they'll say, like, I was like, why do they know that? Well, you never asked. You know? The, uh, the dude who helped train Mozart, uh, his name is Black Mozart. We actually were doing a show on him down here. Tell me more about that. Um, let me look up this dude's name. But he, when Mozart was a kid, well, the dude's story alone is awesome because of the fact that he was actually, like, winning wars and stuff like that. He was, like, a accomplished fencer. Hmm. Or, it was something, but he was, a, he was, um... Chevalier de, de Saint George, Joseph Bologna, probably murdered his name. Yeah, he was a champion fencer. He was a classical composer. He was a black dude. I want to say, was he mixed? Yeah, he was. He was mixed. He was the son of. He was the son of an owner and a slave. Oh. But he he was like really famous because of the fact that 
he was like super accomplished, but they wouldn't let him have any accomplishments like that. They wouldn't let him have public accomplishments. Mm. <sighs> but yeah, he ended up. He did something that he was helping out with some of the wars and stuff there. And he ended up letting a young Mozart live with him. And was teaching him some stuff. Like, he wrote a bunch of operas. He wrote a symphony, composed a symphony. Did a ton of chamber music and stuff like that. Like, he he had a lot of the royalty come and see his shows. Really? Like, Queen Antoinette and all that stuff was coming to see his stuff. Hmm. They downplayed the shit out of that, huh? He wasn't allowed... The, the main thing was, like, him being him being, you know, black and an illegitimate son from his father, he wasn't allowed to inherit the title and stuff like that, so he didn't really gain, you know, he didn't gain his notoriety until after he passed years later. <sighs> I heard this story so many times over the years, actually. Kind of reminds me of the story of Jack Daniels Whiskey. Oh, that, but see, that, those are a little different because they were actually stealing. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's right. the same with, 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 like, the KFC stuff. Like, yeah, we took the recipe from somebody else. Wait, 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 what? The story of Jack Daniels? No, 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 the story of KFC, actually. Well, it's the same thing. You know how they said the colonel the colonel got his recipe from slaves? Just like how Jack Daniels, he stole his recipe. And the, well, the family just got it back, was it last yeah. year? Yeah. And then they then they opened up their, what's, the, what's the, its name? Uncle, oh, it's Uncle something whiskey, but I heard it's really good, too. <laughs> I'm going to take a shot of that. No pun intended. So where did the name Brother Numsy come from? Brother Numsy is my favorite movie. Eddie Murphy did The Golden Child. And the villain in The Golden Child was a demon named um, Sodom Numsy. And there's a scene where Eddie Murphy just retrieved, after he just retrieved the dagger, and he's at the airport, and Sodom Numsi basically being the evil, intelligent creature that he is, decides the smartest way to get the dagger from Eddie Murphy is to use the police because he's a white man in the movie. And he <laughs> goes up to the police and he says, you know, this man has stolen something from me. And Eddie, doing one of his old school Eddie scenes, was awesome. Brother Noomsi! And he starts, basically, he purposely gets himself arrested because he knows that the knife is going to get checked in the customs. Hmm. Basically, he, you know, gave him the big fuck you, like, if I can't, if I can't have the knife, neither of us are going to get the knife. I haven't watched Golden Child in years, and it makes, I'm remembering something about that, so it makes sense now. And he basically gets, he gets Sodom Noomsi to drop the charges. Because he's like, if customs gets the knife, we're never going to get the knife. The knife was basically, Sodom Numsi needed the knife to kill the golden child, but the knife was needed for Eddie Murphy to kill Sodom Numsi. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And the whole Brother Numsi profile came from, I got banned one time, and there was an ongoing joke, which really isn't a joke, but it was, it was basically white people don't get banned like black people does. So I didn't make a white profile. There were people who were doing that. There were people who were 
purposely making white people profiles. But I was like, I'm just gonna make make this character based off of my favorite white white evil person. <laughs> and then the fact that the whole pur- the whole purpose of that page was I'm I'm never gonna use my own picture. Oh yeah. And for the most part, I, I have I have inserted my my picture in two photoshops. But for the most part, I never use my own picture. I, I just find a picture that has cracked me up that moment and looks funny. I always just put a picture up that looks funny as a profile picture, not realizing it's even funnier when it shows up in somebody's people you may know. Yes. And that's how that page became the madness that it was because I was showing up in people's people you may know section, and they were like, who the hell is this? Yes. Yeah, because I remember, because you went viral <laughs> on that, bro. I went viral on multiple pictures I've used, but the white dude, the white dude definitely is what started it. Yes. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's the story behind that photo? Is there like, <laughs> yeah. who is this guy? So there's this dude, and this is like, I started the Brother Numsey page in June of 2018. And for three months, I was putting up random pictures. Like I said, I thought it was funny. Like, I think I had a, the, the Umar toy. The Umar toy was my cover page. But I had, um, I've gone through uh, freaking Nature Boy. Not the wrestler, but the goofy Nature Boy. Yeah. I've, I've had him as a profile picture. Just stuff I find funny. And the year before... I, in one of my blur groups, somebody had introduced me to who we had nicknamed Tanner Badu. <laughs> and the dude is actually a rapper in the UK. That's what? something we found. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just recently, this year, had finally dropped a little bit more knowledge. I haven't exactly said who he is. Most people know who he is. That's the funny part. Everybody has just learned not to say exactly who he is because people are like, who the hell is this dude? And it's so much funny. It's so much more funny to watch people just struggle with that fact. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out too. Like I didn't <laughs> know. Like he's a woke Rastafarian rapper in the UK. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, he's a hot mess. He, he really is a hot mess too. That's the other funny part. Like that's why I don't feel bad at doing it because he is a hot mess. I'm just like, yeah. It's starting to come back to me now because I do remember something about this, you know. Might be a Mandela-ish kind of effect or something like that, but I think I do remember something about this guy, you know, because I was like, I did see his picture beforehand, though, because I was trying to figure out, I was like, because I, I didn't realize he was a rapper from the UK, actually, you know, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, he's a model and a rapper. I do remember the model, hearing about the model part, you know. So that's what made it so funny, it's like, I could just go to his Twitter page and grab pictures, because... He takes pictures like Prince, to be honest. Like, picture, Prince took funny-ass pictures. Yes, he did. So it was just like, I have I have a collection of the funniest pictures of somebody I know who's going to trigger people for no reason other than he just exists. Exactly. The ongoing joke and pleasure I get is no matter how long I don't have his picture up, all I have to do is put his picture up. And people come to my page really, like, 
angry. And then, you know, I, I purposely throw, I don't purposely throw, but I, I use nigga in my post. <laughs> so it's always funny. It, nev- it never fails. Every time I have these pictures up, all it takes is like two or three days, I'll have these pictures up, and they be like, you're not supposed to be saying nigga. I'm just like, like, did y'all not actually research? Y'all just seen this picture and react. <laughs> this picture has been up all, like when I went viral the first time, the picture was up all of one day. I had literally put dude's picture up, and then I had made a post saying, from here on out, I'm about to pretend to be this person. I didn't even say I was going to pretend to be this person, but I just like, I'm going to be the Alabaster King. <laughs> like, it was all jokes. It was all satire, and people, like, were really inboxing me, threatening me. I was like, this is hilarious, because, like, nobody did any research past the picture. They just seen the picture and reacted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of parody articles. You know, people pass me some stuff they think is like whole, like this dead ass girl trying to convince me. Oh yeah, the, the onion and the hard time stuff getting shared around, and people share it so seriously. Just and like, and hustlers dot com, nah daily. <laughs> like, did y'all like read any of that stuff? Yeah. Like when um, what's it called? Um, Andy Andy Lebowski or whatever he he be writing the uh, the pure parody for the New Yorker. Yeah. yeah. Oh him. Yeah. And, like, you can look at the title and be like, he's being facetious. It even says humor in there. Yep. People don't read past, like, the information age is my favorite because of all the misinformation. True. Is it true that she has some interesting DM slides? Oh, yeah. That was the, 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 the threats was part of the fun, but because dude's a model, like... He brings out. He brings out all of the, especially from in in the the quote unquote pro black woke community, because I I've, I've seen his pictures show up without me doing the whole brother Numsy stuff. I've seen his pictures show up around the web, and people are like, "Yeah, he's fine." Like, I'm like, "Good lord." Yeah. But it's 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 a big thing where people are you know. I get the thirst, I get it. Yeah. But you also have people who are looking for the other funny part. People people are, really are desperate look, looking for allies. That's another point too, you know. So, you know, but you're the classy type. You're not the kind of person, you know, that would ever put them on blast. But you kind of know who's full of shit now, right? Oh, that's the best part. I, I got pulled into the, the whole quote-unquote woke book scene. And I'm like, I know a lot of people in woke book. I heard of woke book. I didn't know it was a, like a real, real thing, and I got pulled into it. I don't ever claim it, but I am I am definitely super associated with a lot of people who, who will claim it and are actually doing things. Because woke book started off as like it was the side of Facebook where people were really active activists and they were really, you know, fundraising for things and helping people out. That was the original base setting. And it's turned into this weird little beast now. Hmm. Like I guess I guess I, I, I'm just a shit poster. That's that's the term I can I can use. Yeah, but you're actually funny though. That's the difference though. Between <laughs> you and other shit posters. Like like for example shit posters, honestly, so for me, shit posters honestly they just 
post shit. And shit posting on Facebook is honestly no different than the cons- conspiracy theorists on Facebook. Not really. You're right. They really aren't. They're, they're, they're all opportunists. Oh, totally. You know, don't want to be Alex Jones so bad. They're, they're all opportunists. And it's all about, like, I'm going to post this shit and hope it's funny. And then shit posts it. I mean, the, theor- the cons- conspiracy theorists are supposed to be like, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to have this theory. And I'm not going to do any research on it. But if something ever shows up that is right, then yeah, I was right. And I'm like, you didn't never do no research on any of that shit. <laughs> you were just hoping that it was right. Well, I mean, honestly, that, that's a lot of my favorite things to do, like humor-wise, is I used to do this shit back in like middle school and high school. Hmm. Like, you get with the argumentative folks, oh yeah, and then you purposely say something wrong. No one gets wrong, and you watch them feed off of it. Oh yeah. And even, you know, even with some of my posts, I'll purposely say some stuff. And you can always tell who knows that it's, it's, it's super wrong and who's like, oh, my gosh. Like, usually, it's, it's for me, I don't, I don't go around, like, unfriending people and blocking people. I can do some shit like that, and it'll happen naturally. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm not really much of a block guy or unfriend guy unless – I'll put it this way. If I do – it was probably some stuff you were just annoying me anyway, so that I was at the last straw, so like, click. You know, it was one of those kind of deals, right? It was a rarity, but it was always, it was always, your name was already on the wall anyway, you know, but that's rare. Like, I've I, I blocked people who are like, you know, blatant, blatant racist, and people who have, of course, they got a cancel call, and then be like, oh, this dude's a rapist. I'm like, yeah, you don't need to be in my friends list. But then my favorite my favorite current thing now is honestly I'll see a call out happen and I'll purposely keep on my friends list because I want to see how people react when that person returns to Facebook. That's 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 been my ongoing favorite thing to see is like people do some trashy shit, they'll get called out, they'll disappear and they'll come back and then I generally get to see how nothing happens. Yeah. It's like they're just mad for the moment or something. Pretty much. It's a lot of that. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people stop fucking with each other and they keep it that way. But whenever you see people join in and they join the crowd and then they go back or somebody just makes a new profile and then they add the same people. I'm just like, y'all got to stop making all this noise for nothing. If you're going to cancel somebody, cancel somebody. Like, don't don't do it for the crowd. Do it for you. Seeing that you're, you know, funny as hell and everything, and it's also you really learn to communicate through comedy. So who'd you grow up watching? Like, what comedians did you grow up on? I grew up watching mostly everybody, and that, that was a good learning experience because, you know, a lot of people don't want – a lot of people don't want to admit, especially with today's whole – I'm not racist crowd that's that's pretty rampant nowadays. Yeah. But a lot of people don't ever want to admit the fact that even if you don't want to admit that races exist, that people are of different tones and, and colors and stuff like that, you still got to admit that there's different cultures. There's different sections of humor that come with certain cultures. Yeah. That's why there's, you know, watching a lot of white comedy, 
is the humor is totally different. Vastly. Then, you know, Netflix had introduced me to a lot of Spanish comedy. Spanish comedy was pretty available back in the day, but now, like, you can go on, you can go on Netflix and watch a lot of Spanish, Hispanic dudes and stuff like that. And then there's a lot of, there's a big Asian uh, com- comedy scene that you can find on Netflix. The humor is totally different. It's a culture thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, hell, from, from watching a lot of, like, I watch anime. When you watch, you watch a lot of the, the, the comedy animes, it's a culture thing. The culture is different. The, how they act and live affects people's certain comedy. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you had that. I watched a lot of people. My favorite was Patrice O'Neill. Because hmm. he literally, one of the things, one, he was known for, um, he never rehearsed anything. From what they said, everything he did was all off the top of his head. I was not aware of that. He just would go into his stand-up and just start talking, pretty much, and he just had that presence and that humor. Hmm. That makes sense, because I think with the Comedy Central roast, like, his last one, he roasted the shit out of Seth MacFarlane. Well, he was, um, they th- when they described his comedy, he was known as confrontational. Yeah. And then when you watch his comedy... You know, a lot a lot of comedians got off on roasting the crowd. Some people were good at that, and other people, you'd be like, "Oh, he's about to get his shit in the rocks." Oh yeah, it's an art. You're yeah, seeing... there's 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 some roasting. I'd be like, "Ugh, about to start a fight, sir." <laughs> yeah, it's an art. But Patrice was funny because he wouldn't necessarily roast the audience. He would get them so involved in his damn stand-up. That's what made him funny. Like his whole stand-up, like the the elephant in the room, was funny because. His whole stand-up was literally just about him asking the audience questions and then getting him involved in the whole entire skit. Like, when he was talking about how you can't, you, you don't, he made a joke about, you know, how white women are precious. Not on some, like, looks and shit, but he was basically basically talking about how white women are precious because if a white woman goes missing, Basically, everybody, news-wise, media, and all that stuff, the police, they're going to be looking for them. He's like, he said, how long did it take them when Miami, when the Miami team was looking? He's like, they looked for them for about eight hours tops. Hmm. He's like, if I ever go, if I ever go on a boat out on sea, I'm going to put me a white baby on a keychain. Damn. But, I mean... If we, if you think about that, it's true though. Yeah, I've noticed things. Yeah, they'll put out searches on certain things, and then let let a person look a certain way. Them searches will be real short and sweet. Oh yeah. One thing I noticed, you don't really punch down though. You know, is there anything you will never touch upon? Oh, there's lots of things I don't ever touch upon. The one thing I noticed that a lot of people the Facebook crowd, one, a lot of them don't have the theater background that I have. So, you know, it's it's not just that I can do funny things, but it actually, you know, we had to study it. Like mm-hmm. learning the parts of a tragedy, learning the parts of a comedy. 
comedy is all about, you know, comedic timing, knowing your audience. That's that goes back to the whole, you know. That's why a lot of white comedians wouldn't be able to walk into the hood and just be funny. They would have to know their audience and know what would be funny to them. Oh yeah. Like read the room pretty much, huh? Reading the room is a is a big thing. Reading the room I mean, it just it yeah, you know, live performances. Like as a musician, you have to read the room. Oh yeah. I can't remember who it was, but they said if you're if you're really true if you're a, a white comic, right, and you want to figure if you're really funny or not, do a black do a black night, do a black comedy do a black comedy club. If you get that one guy to run up up and down the aisles, that's when you know you're funny. You know, and, and like that's the thing. Like, as as a meter of comedy, like I can watch certain white com- comedians, and I, I you know I can chuckle a lot of their shit. Like fucking um, Louis Black happy. He has me in tears. He's he's fucking ridiculous. Oh yeah. But then like you know Dane Cook. Remember when Dane Cook was actually super popular? Yes, I do. <laughs> oh yeah. And then I watched Dan Cook stand up, and I was just like, "Good lord, he is terrible." It's fucking awful. Like, I remember when I, I remember the first time I thought it was hilarious, but then I remembered, wait, why did I think this was funny? Oh yeah, I had a bad cold and cough syrup makes everything awesome. That's what it was. Like, um, who used to crack me up? I used to like Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay was funny. Yeah. He was. He was. He was ridiculous. Uh. Sam Sam Kettleson was he was ridiculous. Shit, it was like a nickname for my lead singer because she's like you know she's tiny but she has a really big voice and everything. So I call her Ma'am Kennison. <laughs> some people some people, you know, can take humor, and they can make the humor universal. Oh yeah. And then some people, some people are so white that their humor is white too, and it's just like. Yeah. Like, the audience is laughing, and I'm glad that they're having their good time, but I'm like, this ain't my field, and I'm going to change the channel. Yeah, like, okay. If I, so, basically, if you can't relate to it, you're not going to laugh. No, and there's some shit I kind of feel like, oh, they're such an intellectual. They, like, no, they're not. They, they, I know what they're trying to do. They're not funny. I'm like, and they're trying to say, well, you just don't get it. No, no, I get it. They're just not good. It's like I don't relate to it. Like I don't relate. I don't relate to it to the point where I can laugh. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I can get. I get a lot of the humor that people talk about. It's just not my thing. Yeah, like one of my favorite comics of all time had to be like Mitch Hedberg, right? If it was alive, he'd be the king of Twitter. He'd be like the goat at it, because his jokes were basically tweets. You know, <laughs> like you know, just like literally, it was like these one-liners. I'm like. This is fucking hilarious, you know. Well, it's like you know, Robin Williams did all the impersonations, and you could tell that he was joking about a lot of his depressions and stuff like that. And oh yeah. He just he knew how to relate. He knew how to read the room and you know make himself relatable to the audience. Totally. Then you had Sinbad. Sinbad was extra funny because he had this clean cut dad humor. Yes. Like that's one thing about Sinbad. Actually, when I first heard Sinbad cuss, it blew my mind. <laughs> you know the reason why he didn't cuss, right? No, because his dad's like a preacher or something like that, right? Oh yeah. So the first, 
three shows they ever did, he was cussing everything. His dad was in there. I was like, hey, you're not going to do that anymore. So that's why I stopped doing. But his timing is weird. So it feels like the way he times jokes, you would have thought like he cussed for a second. But wait, no, he didn't, though. It's totally clean, you know? <laughs> but Like, I still remember his whole, his mom chasing him down from the beaten skit. That's my favorite skit from him. Don't you run from me now. Yes. You know? And that goes back to another question, too. Or people keep on asking, do you have to be dirty to be funny? No, you have to be funny to be funny. You have to be kind of dirty, then it's hilarious. You know? That's the Mm -hmm. thing. You know, people confuse. Like, I can't stand overly clean comedy because it feels disingenuous. And I can't stand over dirty, dirty comedy because it feels like you're being performative. Your timing sucks. You know? Meh. You're trying too hard. The joke is about the punchline, and if your punchline is about cursing, then that's not the joke. Exactly. It's like seasoning, you know? Because mm-hmm. truth be told is, though, I remember this one podcast you were on, because I was trying to do a little homework and research on you, right? And I'm like, this guy's timing is almost like Robin Williams, like really quick. <laughs> and you had that do like, in stitches, so I kind of felt like, what the fuck have I signed up for? I used to get in trouble so much, because that was my thing. With my mother. What? Be, being the quiet the quiet kid, I'd always have a smart aleck quip whenever I felt like it with my mom. And I used to get in so much trouble. Now I've learned I've learned to read the room with my mother and my father because my jokes with my mother were always bad timing and then my dad just at the time he was he was so dad like we couldn't joke with him but now i can actually joke with both of them eh, takes time and, you know and even say well that's the other thing like my favorite thing with my parents is i always have to bring it up i was like y'all done got soft Shit. especially when i see them no i, I told them to the face like i was like i see y'all with y'all with y'all grandkids and y'all over here they do things that i would have got drop kicked <laughs> And y'all see them do it, and you're like, it's okay. I was like, no, it's not okay. You better drop kick him. You drop kick me, you better drop kick them too. They get a laugh out of it? Oh, yeah, they laugh. Oh, yeah. They know for a fact that it, it's an ongoing, because I'm the uncle, I'm I'm that quote unquote uncle. So it's a, it's an ongoing thing. It's like, they'd be like, you got to stop spoiling the kids. They said it to me, and I'm like, how am I spoiling them? You're the one spoiling them. I at least discipline them a little bit. That's cute. They they definitely be like though it, it cracks me up like because all my nieces and nephews at any given age will run and jump and try to you know get picked up and of course I hear like they're too big for that I'm like for me they're never too big if they want to get picked up they can get picked up if they want to hop on my back that's fine. And then I'm like, I see them running around the house breaking stuff. And you're like, no, it's okay. So he was like, y'all get mad and I pick up a kid. Yeah, I need to pick up something and throw it at the little badass. I didn't realize you were an uncle, actually. You know, But you seem kind of like Jesus. that. You know, you sound like the cool, funny uncle. I take that, right? I got like 20-some nephews and nieces. Is that what now? I got like 20-some nephews and nieces. Jesus. Oh, it, it's a lot. <laughs> now, the cool thing is, though, like, a good chunk of my nephews and nieces 
are adults now. Oh, okay. So it's like I get to hang out with my my nephews and my nieces and stuff like that. Like, my fact, my my nephew just recently was like, "Uncle, I need some money." So of course I have to quiz. I'm like, what do you need money for? He's like, I need a bottle. I was like, this little nigga. He didn't turn 21. And he didn't cross a frat, so he, he has to ball out. And I'm like, how you trying to ball out broke, sir? And or 21 at that time, you know, this they're, they're still kind of learning and stuff, you know. Yeah, so I was, I was wondering, though, do, do you think some of your status messages you think would translate to, like translate live, though? I mean, being that's just me saying what I'm saying on my head. What I put on Facebook, for the most part, is literally off the top of my head and not, but it's filtered to a degree because I have time to edit. True. But, like, I've always told people, I was like, this is the censored version of me. This is the, it's built, like I said, it's built to a degree because I, you know, I get to read what I'm about to post. The me, the me at work is when, when you can get me to actually talk, it's a hot mess. Yeah. Especially from doing, you know, doing stage work. Like people on headset say the absolute worst stuff out of pure boredom. <coughs> Like, we we always give out headset warnings, and it's not like the absolute worst out of, like, what we're saying is shitty. Well, I mean, if you're on the receiving end, it's shitty. Like, when you work a show and you're on headset, you're pretty much judging the people on stage. You really are. Especially, like, working a show. Like, I remember when I first started doing uh, Kid Ballet. Oh, God. And kid dance shows. Oh shit! And like the kid dance shows was especially funny because you end up going through a summer and you you've done like thirty or forty shows. And of oh, course, boy. by that time, you you hate those kids. You really hate those kids. <laughs> you hate the parents. You hate the music. <laughs> you hate everything about those little shitheads. And you're just like, listen, the only ones that are cute are the ones that are messing up even more. Like. I remember we had the one kid who got on stage and just stopped dancing and just started calling out for her dad because she was proud to be on stage. Daddy! Like, everybody else is doing their routine. And she's just standing in the center, just like, you fucking everybody else up, but you're adorable. <laughs> Holy shit. It, like, the thing about kids shows is you're hearing, it was always, like, the most popular music at the time. And then you've gone through the, through that song twelve times in two days, and you're like, I hate this song. Like Aladdin, um, a whole new world is probably one of the most danced through songs I can think of. Really? That I had I had listened to for like thirteen years straight for kid ballet. Oh yeah. Oh my god. I want to say every single show played a whole new world. It's just perfect for little four-year-olds to twirl to. Okay, I can see that. Hey, hey, hey. All right, I discovered I have a weird coping mechanism for for annoying songs. 
I have a tendency to write really dirty lyrics to him. I want to say that's kind of natural, though. Like, that's something me and my siblings would do all the time. Like, we'd take songs and would just transform them to anything. Yeah. Especially out of, out of sheer boredom. Okay. Because, you know, of course, you know a Goofy movie, right? Uh-huh. I rewrote Eye to Eye. Oh, my God. I wrote it. I called it Ass the Mouth. And I'll tell you right now, the hardest thing to do was get the phrasing down. A lot of the skits I've been shooting with my homeboy, like we've been, uh, I've told him about like all the songs. I'm like, listen, I I have lyrics to songs that I've taken the song and just switched up to this and this. Like applying a song for Road Rage out of this lyric. Hmm. Like, I like my current my current favorite song switch was um this girl who her thing is actually growing vegetables in her yard. Mm-hmm. She took WAP and changed it into wild ass peppers. Okay, that's pretty clever. And it, it's actually dope, but she did like the lyrics she spit and I'm like I was like, She killed that shit. Hmm. That's literally her thing and her thing is literally growing her food and I'm just like this it's such a dope concept and application. That's pretty dope, actually. You know, what's her name? I forgot her name, but I can literally look it up in three seconds because Wild Ass Peppers will bring her up. Nice. Wait, you say you're an anime fan, right? Yeah. All right, favorite series. Favorite series is Ergo Proxy. Damn, I've heard that name in a minute. Nayaja E. I want to say is her name, if I said it correctly. Okay. Cool. But Ergo Proxy, like, I, I I, started off the usual as a boy. I was big on the show and in action stuff. Oh, yeah. And my first breakthrough anime was a thriller called Perfect Blue. Oh, yeah. And I watched Perfect Blue, and that was my first time realizing, like, oh, my God, I don't have to just watch action anime. Perfect Blue was so freaking dope. Like, Perfect, a lot of people don't realize Perfect Blue influenced Hollywood. It did. On the like Matrix lifted how, a lot from like Ghost Kira, in the Shell. was, you know, Seven Samurai and a lot of Like, unbelievable amounts. Hell, um, that scene from Akira, you know, the bike it, slide scene? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird parallel. Like, when it comes to, like, Hollywood lifting stuff from Japanese, you know, like in wrestling, right? Any wrestler actually worth a shit, they go to Japan, right? For maybe, like, a season. Yep. Exactly. You know, we're going with this, right? And they find the moves. Okay, um, I don't know how that guy dropped himself on the other guy's neck and lived to tell the tale. But that other movie did was pretty cool. So just, like, lift the fuck out of that and <laughs> modify it. You know, they would do that, you know? They start taping moves and stuff, you know, like... Like CM Punk stole uh, Kenta's go to sleep move. You know, he'd do that. But like Hollywood, they'll lift stuff from, you know, anime series because it wasn't as popular yet until you look back, like, wait a minute. You know? And it's funny, though, it's like a lot of the wrestlers who, especially, even, they, even if they have made it big, they go back to Japan because the thing about, I've noticed with the Japanese wrestling story, like even fans. The storytelling is better over there. Yes. The fact that, like, you know, a lot of people who got over here and got 
slumped by McMahon and, you know, were in heel, they were always permanently heels, which is like, you can go over to Japan and they're more versatile in what yeah. you're doing. Like, Oh, yeah, like Hulk Hogan, for example. Like, this guy can actually fucking move. Like, holy shit. You know? Mm-hmm. Even on, eh, even on recognize. I ever show you my fucked up Hulk Hogan memes? No. Those came from a place of hurt and disappointment and anger. <laughs> I actually got kicked out of a group for those. And I don't regret it either. <laughs> so I'll take you're a fan, though. Not as much as I used to, but my cousin, he was a big wrestling head, and that's how I got on. Like, I li- I like wrestling, definitely, but I had a cousin who was a huge fan. Cool. And that that was his thing. Dope. And, like, he was big on the games. He was a, he was a really big wrestling fan. So, like, being – he was a couple, couple years older than me, just like two or three. Yeah. But whenever I'd spend summers at my aunt's, we'd always get in trouble because we'd be emulating wrestling moves with our other little cousin. Oh, God. I just can't... I, I just love seeing the idea of, like, you know, you and your brothers, you know, with all these, with, like, these string instruments, you know, like, breaking out, like, into, like, a maybe a classical piece of Mozart or something like that. Well, that's why I love violin because that's pretty much what they do. Classical stuff, and then, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll slap on a little hip-hop. Like, we need more of that because... Matter of fact, I was just listening. I, I love Esperanza. Esperanza's oh. definitely dope. She's awesome. I just came across Ayana, Ayana Witter Johnson. Hmm. She's a celloist from the UK. She's basically like the inversion of Esperanza because hmm. Esperanza can sing, yeah. but Ayana can sing. Nice. So, I don't know if she's a child prodigy like Esperanza. She's dope with her cello, but I think cello takes more of a, not more, but a slightly, slightly more of a backseat to her singing, like because she can blow while she's playing the cello. Hmm. That's actually pretty dope. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 the thing. Like, I'm definitely. I'm glad I got the, the guitar, but I'm definitely looking to get a keyboard just for the sense that I'm in I'm in these thin wall ass apartments right now and I'm just like I didn't put my I put my drum set up and I'm like definitely wanna make the next move, I'm gonna get a place where I can put my drum set up. But for the time being, a guitar is nice, but a keyboard would be perfect because I can plug some headphones in. Exactly. And I won't bother anybody. Plus, I actually like to compose some stuff and make music and make beats. So it's like a, key- a keyboard would be wunderbar. Nice. So, who are your favorite drummers? Oh man, favorite drummers. We have what's his name? Billy Billy Coburn. Mm. Oh yeah. Billy Coburn's dope. Um, Eric, what's Eric's last name? Jeez, hold on, because I actually have songs. I have songs in my iTunes. Nice.
come here. There you are. So, Eric, what is Eric's freaking last name? Get your freak on. Eric Moore. Hmm. Eric Moore's dope. He's he's like one of the gospel chop dudes. Spanky. I love Spanky. Spanky's dope too. There's a lot of gospel players, of course. Oh, I'm yeah. playing in the church. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Spank. Spanky's dope. That's why I, was, I should just put on my YouTube because I definitely have a lot of videos saved from them. Yeah. Apparently, Eric Moore. Okay, black drummer, right? Yeah. He's played in one of my favorite one of my favorite bands actually. Suicidal Tendencies. Oh yeah, Suicidal Tendencies is dope. Yeah. Calvin Rogers is dope. Calvin Rogers is extra dope. Spanky's dope. Um, Who's the guy that played drums for Jay Z? Oh, um, 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 I have him because I have a. Uh, he played. He did a whole album with um, Hidden Beach when Hidden Beach was doing all those jazz records. Yeah. He did Volume Six. I'll look it up. It's going to drive me nuts right now. It's it's Tony. Yeah, to, yeah, Tony. Fuck, what is it? I know. It's I'm, t- I'm typing him in right now. Tony Royster. Tony Royster Jr. That's what it's. Tony, Tony Royster Jr. Tony Royster is dope. I like I like a lot of the metal drummers too. Oh yeah, I have a soft spot for double bass stuff. You know, I would have the made dude, us. the drummer for the uh, uh, Chainsmokers is actually dope. Really? I didn't know he had a drummer, actually. Whenever they do live stuff, he Matt McGuire. Matt McGuire is bonkers. I gotta check that out. Yeah, Matt McGuire is super dope. Um, The Pocket Queen, I love her. Taylor. Chris Coleman is dope, yes. So, I was looking at my favorite, um, I've been big on this, this Cuban pian- pianist and this Cuban percussionist. And they, they both have their own stuff, but they've been putting out stuff together, too. Hmm. And they have a song called uh, Yamaya, basically, you know, dedicated to the, the goddess Yamaya. And I saw on one of the videos that Taylor was the drummer for them. I was like, she's, she's killing it. I was like, Taylor's dope. I know my buddy Siobhan, a collaborator, because, you know, you know, she plays drums for me and everything, you know. So she, that's, that's like one of her idols, you know. Ah, that's sweet. Aaron Spears is also dope. He's a gospel chop dude. Aaron Spears, he got famous because uh, Usher, he was probably already famous. Like, uh, Usher had pulled him off for a tour. Hmm. So, like, Aaron Spears' cover of Caught Up is probably, like, one of his biggest things that you can find online. Like, he's bonkers. Hmm. Doesn't any Thomas Pridgen. Thomas Pridgen is dope. Yeah. Okay, cool. I have a theory. 
if you can play jazz fusion or metal, you can play anything. Well, you know, that's, that's what they say about a lot of gospel music, especially gospel organists. Because that, that was Wyclef. Wyclef's thing was, you know, he, he's like, I learned how to organ. Well, well Wyclef Jean? Yeah. I did not know. Okay, I knew he grew up in church. But I know he played organ. I had no idea. Yeah, he was like, you know, you, you start off playing organ, you can play anything. Only thing I knew he played with was guitar and Lauren Hill. The only thing I knew he played with 